Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So the playoffs have started. The first round has nearly concluded. Uh, the East playoffs, or at least semifinals at least, have been set. And the West still is a little bit under construction with the Spurs and Nuggets going into Game 7. Uh, but I think it's only right to do uh, an East Semis playoff preview with a couple of series set up here between the Raptors and the Sixers, as well as the Bucks and the Celtics. Two very good series, one that most were looking forward to prior to the playoffs as both of the, sorry, all four of these teams uh, believe they could be a representative for the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals, and two of these teams will be going home with the expectation that uh, they underperformed this season and that could drastically change their free agent outlook uh, in the case of the Raptors, the Sixers, the Celtics, not so much the Bucks, but mainly the Raptors, Sixers, and Celtics. So, it, like I said, only right to do here a series preview for both of these series so let's let's get let's jump right into it so let's start off with the Toronto Raptors versus the Philadelphia 76ers both of their teams handled their first round series pretty handily with the Raptors beating the Magic in five the Sixers beating the Brooklyn Nets in five as well and so breaking down this series it was a little bit interesting. I mean, anytime you play Philly with Ben Simmons at point guard, you're going to have a lot of cross-matching situations because of Ben Simmons' size at 6'10 and Kyle Lowry's size at 6 feet. So I thought it was only right to kind of go through the defensive matchups on both sides of the court. So let's start off with the Raptors matchup. So there's a few different ways you could slice this. I've seen a few different people talk about the different combinations of who guards who in this series and how that would work. But this is the one that I think I conceive of the most, the one that I think the most sense for the Raptors at least to start out with. So we've got Kawhi Leonard guarding Ben Simmons. Marcus Gasol obviously guarding Joel Embiid. Uh, personally, I would put Kyle Lowry on J.J. Redick. Pascal Siakam would guard Tobias Harris. And Danny Green would guard Jimmy Butler. For the Sixers, this is the matchup I think they will go with to start. Uh, so I think Embiid on Gasol, obviously. I actually think that they will put Jimmy Butler on Kyle Lowry. I I don't think J.J. Redick would start on Kyle Lowry because of the volume of pick and rolls that Kyle Lowry runs with Marc Gasol. Uh, as we saw in the last series against the Nets, J.J. Redick uh, tend to be attacked in pick and roll and isolation. And just because of the sheer volume of those, I have to believe that the Sixers would like Jimmy Butler, who has proven to be a decent defender of point guards and pick and roll situations. Uh, so I think that that's probably the way they will go. And beat on Gasol, Butler guarding Lowry, Ben Simmons guarding Kawhi, J.J. Redick guarding Danny Green, and Tobias Harris guarding Pascal Siakam. So... Mostly the mostly the same matchups. The only one that changes there is when Redick guards Green instead of Lowry guarding Redick on the other end. So let's get into the keys. My what I think are the keys for the Toronto Raptors in this series. The first key I think is just to keep the Sixers out of transition. Uh, we saw that Ben Simmons was very very dangerous in transition. And that led to them scoring a lot of points in a couple of games in those series. I believe it was games uh, two and three, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jared Dudley said it best in that interview uh, 
with the Nets reporter saying he Ben Simmons is elite, elite in the full court, but can be a little bit average in the half court. And I tend to agree with that. I think Simmons is very dangerous, but he is schemable. Uh, if we've seen past situations where Kawhi has guarded Ben Simmons, he has given him absolute fits. Uh, and so I don't believe that against a set defense, at least, uh, that Ben Simmons can be as effective against the Toronto Raptors set defense. Uh, so that, that's what I think. If Toronto can limit the transition opportunities for the Sixers, keep them from running, make sure that you have four guys four guys back and make sure that you can play against a set defense, I think that that's going to go a long way to making the Sixers uh, very schemable and making it very hard for the, Toronto Ra- or for the 76ers to score on the Toronto Raptors when all five guys are communicating, all five guys are on the string, hedge and recover, rotations out to shooters, things of that nature. The second thing uh, I think is a key for the Raptors is to keep Joel Embiid off the free throw line. Um, (laughs) Very much easier said than done. Uh, The free throw line, keeping Embiid off the free throw line also means keeping Ibaka and Gasol out of foul trouble. So those guys are going to need to make sure that they aren't too handsy, make sure that they're strong in the post, but also maybe willing to give up two points at times instead of taking the foul to make Embiid Erden at the line. I think just given the fact that Ibaka and Gasol are the main options, mainly Gasol being the main option with Ibaka kind of being the backup plan, you really, really want to try to avoid having the third center Eric Moreland out there for minutes in this series. Uh, that, that, that could prove to be a potential disaster, especially with Boban Marjanovic as the backup center there for the Sixers. I think you want to limit those uh, limit those opportunities to, for Moreland to get on the floor. Uh, he's just not a playoff performer at this point, and I think that having him on the floor is going to be dangerous for the Toronto Raptors uh, for those stretches that he will be out there. So Raptors, the way I think you guard Embiid, at least to start the series, with the caveat that there could be an adjustment, is that you kind of avoid doubling to start. But at the same time, I can see guys like Kyle Lowry digging down, uh, forcing Embiid to pick up his dribble, forcing Embiid to get a repost late in the clock. You just got to be careful with this strategy because if you're Lowry or Siakam doing this based on the uh, the guarding matchups that I stated earlier, leaving Tobias Harris or J.J. Redick could prove costly. Uh, Embiid is a very good passer. He can find guys uh, right on the money and very quickly out of the post. Also, you could see the potential for a little hammer action going off on the weak side if Joel Embiid is uh, in the post backing down Gasol and there's five eyes on Embiid and you have J.J. Redick and Tobias Harris set a little back screen for each other, boom, miscommunication, Redick or Harris gets a wide open three. So those type of actions you probably have to be careful for if you're going to choose to kind of dig down or give a little bit of a fake help, things of that nature. But I think ultimately it could be a good strategy just have to make sure that you're helping off the right people because if not, I think it could be costly for Toronto. So last key I've got for the Raptors in this series is take away those J.J. Redick pin-down actions. So Lowry, like I said, I think is going to start. He's going to have to take on the challenge of chasing J.J. Redick around a lot of screens and much, like I've said a lot in this series, easier said than done. Uh, We've seen in the last series that Joe Harris had a very, very tough time chasing J.J. Redick around those screens, and J.J. Redick was able to get loose uh, in a couple of games going off for a couple 20-point games there. 
So the strategy we've heard a lot in this series to defend these JJ Redick type shooters is what's called top locking. So if you don't know what that is, top locking essentially is JJ Redick will start in the corner and he will curl towards the top of uh, the, the, the top of the three-point line with a screen set somewhere around the post or the wing. And what will happen is JJ will come around, usually from the le from the left side of the floor. JJ will curl curl around and take the jump shot. And basically, your choice is is if your big is too far back, JJ will shoot the three or the mid ranger. If your big is too far up, the screener, the, the guy that's setting the screen for JJ Redick, will roll to the basket, forcing a third raptor to come and rotate. And now your defense is all out of sorts if you're not communicating properly. So the top lock is basically when you decide there's no way that JJ Redick is coming off this screen. And what you'll do is you'll actually put your chest facing the baseline and your back facing your basket and basically forcing JJ Redick, if he's gonna come off that screen and curl from the corner up to the wing, he's gonna run right into your chest. And if you if played correctly, that could prove to be an offensive foul on JJ Redick. It also could prove to be a defensive foul on yourself. But the strategy does pro has proven to be effective with a few players in this series. Uh, if you saw in the Magic series, Fred Van Vliet was doing that a little bit when guarding Terrence Ross off those same type of actions. And I think again that these uh, that strategy of top locking is going to be key to keeping JJ Redick out of that out of those pin down actions and. The strategy, although good, exposes you to backdoor cuts, uh, which means help at the rim needs to be there. So let's say JJ Redick, he sees the top lock. He kind of takes two steps in the direction of the screen to come off and curl off the screen. And then he sees the top lock strategy, gives a little forearm shove, plants his right foot, and goes backdoor. And usually it'll be Ben Simmons at the top who's going to make a nice pass to JJ Redick. And if your help isn't there at the rim, uh, JJ Redick is going to get an easy layup. So that's the exposed that that's the way to expose that type of strategy but again i think the raptors um given their ability to communicate all five guys on a string i believe that they will be able to send that help there efficiently uh and allow for that strategy to work on jj um another thing about limiting those reddick pin down actions is that's usually taking their first option away in that specific set so whether it's coming down in transition and ben simmons sets kind of turns his back to the goal against Kawhi at the top of the circle and just kind of does a little handoff for JJ. Usually the big is sitting way back in, in the paint because Ben Simmons can't shoot. So there's no reason to actually stay up onto Ben Simmons whatsoever given that he's not a threat to shoot whatsoever. And so that actually proves to be costly because now Jay, uh, because the guy following JJ, if he's not really attached to his hip and he's a, a step or two off, Redick is going to get a wide open three. Uh, just because the big is there's no way that big is going to be anywhere near the three point line or near that 22 foot mark where JJ likes to pull up from. So if you're able to take that away, and again that falls mostly on the guy chasing Redick around the screens. Uh, you're usually going to take a lot of the motion away from that Philadelphia offense because things tend to stagnate when JJ really can't get that first action off. Like when you shut down that pin down or that handoff series with Redick, the offense just kind of go, okay, now what now? Now we have to go and see if we can find a mismatch uh, in this series. Now we have to go and see uh, if we can generate uh, some offense through uh, you know pseudo pick and rolls, things of that nature. And so when when there's not set plays for Philly to kind of 
get into their sets after you shut down that first action, that makes our offense a lot more vulnerable in my opinion. So I think just shutting down these actions, although J.J. Redick is probably you know their fourth best player on the floor, he really creates a lot of the motion and a lot of the a lot of the set uh, kind of gravity that the Sixers will use in their offense. And so if you can take away that first set of options, it really starts to stagnate the Sixers' offense. It really makes them kind of go into uh, what-do-we-do-now type of mode. And I think that proves uh, that will prove to be effective uh, for the Raptors' defense in the long run. So that's three keys for the Raptors. Let's get into the Sixers now. Uh, first key for the Sixers is just take Kawhi out of the game. Uh, I think the best way to beat the Raptors is most likely take Kawhi right out of the game and make him have an off night. Uh, if Butler has to force Kawhi into some tough shots, not allow to get, not allow him to get into his spots on the baseline uh, as well as the paint, I think you'll have to rely on Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry to shoot the ball well, which they can, uh, but a lot harder for Toronto to score that way in my opinion. Uh, I think Kawhi Leonard will see a lot of different looks. I think uh, at times he might see uh, Tobias Harris if he's trying to back down uh, in the post. He's definitely going to see Ben Simmons, and I think he's definitely going to see some Jimmy Butler. So we'll see how Kawhi kind of takes and adjusts his offensive game to those different types of looks he's going to see in the series. But I think for the Sixers, if you can take him out of the game, you have a much better chance to win relying on uh, guys like Pascal and Lowry to shoot the ball, as we've seen uh, Pascal didn't make a three in the first two games. You know, Lowry can be pr uh, prone to these kind of off-shooting nights in the playoffs, even though he finds other ways to contribute as well, uh, even if that's not necessarily on offense. So taking Kawhi out of the game, I think, will be huge for the Sixers if they want to have uh, a chance to kind of shut down the Raptors' offense. Another key for the Sixers here, I think, is limiting the Raptors' three-point opportunities. The Raptors have good to great three-point shooters uh, throughout the roster, and if shots start falling... If shots are falling, the Sixers are, will not have the benefit of getting uh, of getting into three a three point shootout with the Raptors. So, I think that uh, the Sixers do have some shooters. Uh, I think you know Redick obviously of being a big one. Tobias Harris can make the three at a good clip. Even uh, Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler can shoot them at a decent clip as well. But I think just between Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, Marcus Saul, uh, Norm Powell has shot shown the ability to shoot the three. Fred Van Vliet can hit those shots. I think there's just a few too many guys on the Raptors roster capable of knocking down shots. And if those shots are falling on any given night, I, I think that bodes poorly for the Sixers. So being able to just close out, stick with your guy, knowing, uh, knowing your personnel, knowing what guys you can help off of, and knowing uh, basically which guys you can help off of will prove effective for the Sixers in giving them a shot to beat the Raptors in this series if, they're, uh, if the Raptors' three-point opportunities aren't falling. And the last key I got here for the Sixers is just to win the starter minutes. Um, a big weakness for the 76ers, and we knew this coming in, was their bench depth. So you got Simmons, Redick, Butler, Harris, and Embiid as the starters. And then after that, you got Mike Scott, Boban Marjanovic, you know, TJ McConnell. After after you get to those first five guys, I mean, Mike Scott, who's actually not going to play in game one, uh, Boban and TJ McConnell, uh, you've got... Sorry, I'm blanking here on the Sixers roster, which I mean proves how really not deep they are. Uh, they, oh, they've got uh, Simmons coming off the bench as well, not Ben Simmons. And I just think that their their depth just isn't. It's just not there, uh, in in my opinion. So you've got to win those starters minutes 
if you're the Sixers because I think the Raptors bench is just, uh, although they haven't played that well this year, I think it's just a lot better than the Sixers bench. Uh, I think there's too many guys that are proving to be liabilities here. Their big five, I think, is just undoubtedly the strength of their team. And I think that their bench will bleed a lot of minutes. And if they don't kind of keep that in check and are able to allow the starters to build a big lead, I don't foresee those Sixers being able to build the lead on the... the, I don't believe that Sixers bench can build the lead on the Raptors bench. And I don't believe they can hold a lead against the Raptors bench. So if if my prediction goes right, those starters are going to have to win. And if they don't, again, going to be very tough for the Sixers to win this series. My prediction for this series is I think the Raptors will win in six games. Uh, overall, big picture, I think the Raptors' defensive versatility is going to make it hard for the Sixers to score. And I just don't believe the Sixers will be able to survive when their starters go to the bench, as I just discussed. Especially considering Joel Embiid's health uh, with that tendonitis in his knee. I think that just kind of compounds the problem and we'll kind of see how he fares in this series. But ultimately, I am going with the Toronto Raptors to win the series in six games. So let's move on to the second series here. We've got the Bucks versus the Celtics. The Bucks again, both both teams handled this series very easily. Bucks one and four, Celtics one and Bucks one and four against the Pistons, Celtics one and four against the Pacers. And again, just uh, wanted to see how things match up here uh, on the defensive side. So for the Bucks defensively, I think uh, Eric Bledsoe will guard Kyrie Irving. I think Sterling Brown guards Jason Tatum. I think Chris Middleton guards Jalen Brown. Uh, I think Giannis will guard either Baines or Hayward. And I think Lopez, uh, Brooke Lopez guards Al Horford. For the Celtics matchup, uh, I believe that Kyrie is probably going to guard Bledsoe. I think Tatum guards Sterling Brown. And with Giannis, man, this is just a nightmare matchup for the Celtics defensively. I think he'll see a... A combination of Jalen Brown, Aaron Baines, or Al Horford. I, I think the Celtics are content throwing a bunch of different guys at Giannis. Uh, I think Gordon Hayward start. Uh, I think I'm not sure if Gordon Hayward will start, but if he does, I think he'll guard Chris Middleton, and I think Horford, obvi- uh, Al Horford, obviously guards Brook Lopez as well. So with the with the caveat that that could change, uh, being it's uh, Aaron Baines and things of that nature. So obviously neither team was tested in the first round. So it's going to be interesting to see how these teams play out the gate, uh, having not been challenged whatsoever in the first round. See who comes out firing in this series in Game One. So let's get to the let's start with the keys for the Bucks. I think the keys for the Bucks is starts with taking out Kyrie Irving. Uh, Kyrie is Kyrie's the head of the snake. Obviously, he's obviously the best offensive player. He's the main engine. And if you can take him out of the game, kind of similar to taking Kawhi out of the game for the Raptors, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, can all those guys can score. Uh, but you want the Celtics to rely on those guys instead of Kyrie Irving. Uh, Gordon Hayward has came come back a little bit, but I don't think he's all the way back to Utah. Gordon Hayward we saw in 2017. Jason Tatum can get hot in this series. I think he's going to be huge uh, to provide that second scoring punch. Al Horford will have some opportunities for, you know, pick and pop opportunities against Lopez. And Jalen Brown can prove to, you know, knock down the three and uh, be a threat to be a slasher and a cutter. So, again, those guys can score. I'm not saying they can't score, but given the Bucs, uh, I think we're first in defense in the regular season. And I don't even want to pull off the pull up the playoff numbers because a 4-0 series against the Pistons not really indicative of what... Um, 
of what a real challenge will be like against them. Uh, but I think the Bucks were first in defensive rating in the regular series. And if you're if you're taking away Kyrie Irving, despite what happened last year in the playoffs uh, in this series without him, I just think that the I just think that the Celtics are going to have a much tougher time scoring. So eliminating Kyrie Irving, the head of the snake, is going to be e- – or sorry, not easy. Jeez, oh, it's never easy eliminating Kyrie Irving, but it's going to make it not as easy for the Celtics to score if the Bucks can prove they're able to do that. Uh, so Eric Bledsoe will be the matchup. Uh, he's a first-team all-defensive player this year, and he's going to be put to the test to try and slow Kyrie Irving, not just uh, on the ball, but when Kyrie kind of comes off those handoff actions as well, he's going to have to stay attached. The Bucks probably should not try to switch Bledsoe off Kyrie. Uh, I think Middleton, Sterling Brown, Lopez, and Brook Lopez are all mismatches. Uh, and if Giannis gets switched onto him, I'm not sure even he can stay with Kyrie on the perimeter, despite the fact that obviously Giannis again is an All Defensive and Defensive Player of the Year type candidate. Um, that's no knock on Giannis's defense. I think that Kyrie is just an All World talent uh, with the ball in his hands, and so there's just no shame if you can't stay in front of him. So. You want to avoid switching Eric Bledsoe off of Kyrie, and you want to make sure he is the primary matchup uh, on Kyrie for the majority of the series. Another key for the Bucks, uh, I think, is where does the scoring come from outside of Giannis? Uh, if so, a lot of the strategy that teams have employed against the Bucks are we're gonna sh- we're gonna let Giannis get his, and we're just gonna ma- make sure that nobody else gets theirs. And if the Celtics are gonna go to let that let Giannis get his type of strategy, who's that secondary scorer and that secondary creator that's gonna give you 20, 25 points to allow the Celtics to focus on another threat in this series? Um, I think mo- most likely that's gonna come from either Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe. Those guys are going to need to help with the scoring load if the Bucks want to put up points and not just rely on Giannis to step defense to win the series. So th- those guys being Bledsoe and Middleton, if they're going to, they're going to need to help out with the scoring load uh, if the Bucks want to put up points and not just rely on Giannis stout defense to win the series. Having said that, I think it's possible they can win the series like that with just Giannis. Scoring all the points and having him having the Bucks in general just play stout defense. I think that is a way they can win the series, but I don't think that's probably the best strategy for them to win the series. So I just I just want to know who's gonna on a night to night basis who's gonna help out Giannis with the scoring load. Who's gonna be that guy? Is it gonna be Bledsoe? Is it gonna be Middleton? Is it gonna be Lopez firing or hitting six five six seven threes from the outside? We'll see. Uh, but I think the Bucks are gonna need that from another player to have a chance uh, to for their best formula at least uh, to win this series. So keys for the Celtics here. Um, again, this kind of feeds into the keys for the Bucks here. But the let is the let Giannis get his strategy gonna be the one they go to. Um, the Bucks spacing uh, is basically Giannis with four shooters uh, out on the floor, especially when Lopez is on the floor, who also spaces there. And are the Celtics going to choose to mix up their matchups uh, on Giannis uh, and just stay home uh, with the four shooters? If so, the Celtics are going to need to be able to score on the other end to match that Giannis production. So, like I mentioned, if, if we go to that Giannis gets his strategy, that's great. That, that's great for the Celtics, that's good and rosy, but you better be able to score and match Giannis's, you know, 40-45, and I, th- I think Giannis will even end, even end up with a 50-point game in this series. And if that's the case, the Celtics are going to have to match uh, match that scoring. Uh, they, can't, they, they can't afford to not score if they're going to go to that strategy. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. In terms of the way that 
the Bucks, or sorry, the Celtics match up against Giannis. Um, I think Jalen Brown, although athletic and a good defender, is just simply too small for Giannis. I think he gives up just too much height and a little bit of weight. Uh, Baines is uh, he has the weight to hold up with Giannis, but I don't think he's really that good at protecting the rim when Giannis will drive. And I think Horford, you know, he might not he just might not be as athletic enough to keep or hold up in the post uh, or on the perimeter against Giannis. Um, again, I think he just gives up a little bit of weight uh, in the post against Giannis, and I don't think he's got the foot speed to stay with Giannis on the perimeter uh, on his first dribble on his first dribble drive. So the Celtics really don't have a great matchup for Giannis, and that's why I think there's going to be a lot of different. Uh, he's got. They're going to throw a lot of different looks at looks at Giannis Antetokounmpo, and rightfully so. It's just going to be about how Giannis Giannis chooses to attack attack any given look based on the personnel that he's going up against. So we'll see. We'll definitely keep an eye on how the Celtics choose to guard Giannis in this series, and uh, that'll be a big. Uh, that'll be a big key in determining if the Celtics are going to win the series whatsoever. So the last Celtics for the series is the threes will be there for the Celtics. They will be there, but can they make them? Uh, the Bucks do a good job at helping on drives to the rim. Uh, that is going to open up passes to the two three-point shooters. So T- Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Gordon Hayward, T- Terry Rozier, etc. are all going to have to make those shots, uh, especially when Kyrie is the main primary ball handler and he's driving to the rim and the Bucks are going to choose to help off of him, step into the lane, and uh, give up those wide open, uh, give up those wide open threes, whether it be in the corner, whether it be above the break, whether it be on the wing. Uh, if the Celtics can make those threes, that help will start to dissipate a little bit, uh, or they will just start helping off certain players, uh, which opens up the roll man in the pick and roll. So what I mean by that is. Let's say Jason Tatum, you know, is knocking down his threes. He, he he's just going off with his threes. He's he's made three or four to this point. We're in the third quarter. And so we've got Kyrie Irving and uh, and Al Horford running a pick and roll. Now, if if Kyrie goes to his, drives to his left, Horford sets the screen and Horford's rolling down to the rim, and you've got a buck on the weak on the a third buck on the weak side guarding Jason Tatum. He's not going to leave Jason Tatum anymore because he's already made those three or four uh, three or four three pointers in theory. And now, Al, and now that pocket pass from Kyrie Irving to Al Horford is going to be wide open, and Al Horford's going to be able to get a fairly uncontested layup at the rim. So, making those three pointers are going to be able to dissipate that Bucks help a little bit. That's proven to be so effective throughout the regular season. And if they can do that, that's going to open up the Celtics' offense quite a bit. Uh, whether that be pick and pop opportunities there for Al Horford whether it be Kyrie coming off the screen and pulling up in the mid range, whether it be the the Bucks choosing to switch that action uh, just to eliminate the threat of a wide o- uh, of a, an open roll man or a wide open three, depending on how they choose to defend that pick and roll. So it, it it opens up a lot of things for the Celtics here, and I think again if we can if those three start going down, it's going to open up a lot of what I call basketball gravity uh, for a lot of the other Celtics actions to take place and uh, ultimately uh, improve their offense throughout the series. So my prediction for this series, um, I'm taking Bucks in six. Um, I haven't talked said his name whatsoever, but I think losing Marcus Smart is just a massive absence for the Celtics. I mean, sure he won't guard Giannis, but he's going to shut down that secondary option that I mentioned was a key for the Bucks. Um, the Bucks to me just have more shooting, and their de- and their defense is just a little bit better to me as a unit. And so between the absence of Marcus Smart. 
what I think is better Bucks shooting and what I think is better Bucks defense and what I think is the best player in this series, which belongs to the Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think that does not bode well for the Celtics, and I believe that the Milwaukee Bucks will take this series in six games. So thanks for listening, everybody. That was the Eastern Conference preview, uh, semi Eastern Conference semis preview. Uh, we will do a Western Conference one. Obviously, the Warriors and the Rockets uh, series has been set. Uh, but we're still waiting to see who Portland is going to play between the Spurs and the Nuggets as that game is going into Game 7 on Sunday. So what I'll probably do is um, I think the Rockets and the Warriors start on Sunday at 3 p.m. Uh, maybe on Monday what I will do is a uh, either Portland versus Spurs pre- series preview or a Portland versus Nuggets series preview, and then I'll talk about what happened and what I saw in Game 1 uh, from the Rockets versus the Warriors. So uh, again, the Western Conference very exciting as well. We're down to we're down to four series here, and uh, it, sh- it should be exciting. We're going to see down the stretch how the how this all plays out, and uh, it's going to bode well for a, a very exciting playoffs. Thanks again for listening. Uh, be sure to look out for the Western Conference uh, preview as well, and uh, we'll be back very soon. Thanks again.